0: You are listening to Oliver Dixon on the station of the year. Those comments made by deputy Ch- by Chief Justice. My goodness, when am I going to stop saying Deputy Chief Justice? Just a force of habit. Chief Justice Raymond Zondo around his disappointment in the implementation of the Zondo Commission. Report, or let's call it by its technical name, the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture. Um, and and Parliament is not too happy about it. In fact, the ANC's chief, Pemi Majordina, lashed out at Zondo, uh, saying that he cannot tell Parliament what to do. And you know what? She may just be right. The separation of powers exists for a reason. Outside of the court, perhaps he may be able to tell Parliament what to do, as a citizen of the country, but do we draw that distinction? I don't know. We probably should, but is it case scenario specific? That's part of the conversation and the question that we need to be able to answer. And so, Parliament has called upon Chief Justice Zondo to appear before it. Uh, and Nosiviwe Mapisa nqakula who is the Speaker of Parliament, and the Chairperson of the National Council of Provinces, Amos Masondo, uh, had sent through an urgent request uh, for Chief Justice Zondo to appear before them. I wonder if they can actually do that. Can they? Well, we'll find out. You can be a part of this conversation, zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. Lawson Naid, is at the Council for Advancement of South African Constitution, is with us. Lawson, good evening and welcome to Night Talk. Really do appreciate your time. Uh,
1: good evening, Oliver. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, Lawson, as you can hear by my preamble, uh, a lot of questions, a lot of questions that perhaps are uh, not all important but intriguing, but some of them are important. Some are process, some are... Uh, Uh, with regards to what makes up a good democracy, right? So let's perhaps start here. Is there, does this moment bring into question the limitations that judges have as far as public commentary is concerned, uh, given that, of late, over the last couple of, I'll say, six or so years, we've seen judges find more of an expression, especially because of the former chief justice uh, often taking to the pulpit and preaching, but effectively lacing it with uh, social and political commentary. Does this particular moment equate to those moments, or is it different? Because Zondo was effectively the chairperson of the commission that he opined
1: on. Indeed. And, you know, I think it was, it's quite clear to, uh, you know that uh, he spoke in his capacity as someone who had presided over the State Capture Commission, not as uh, uh, the head of the judiciary, uh, not as in his capacity as Chief Justice, but as someone who presided over that commission. So I think that is a, di- uh, a distinction that needs to be made. But even beyond that, I think, you know, uh, for those who are invoking the doctrine of the separation of powers, uh, it is not a rigid doctrine. Uh, there is no clear demarcation of where the responsibilities between the three branches of, of government are clearly set out. It is a it is a doctrine that is in place in order to strengthen democracy, and uh, and you know it's practiced in different ways in different countries. So I think we've got to, we must respect the doctrine of the separation of powers, but uh, not not apply it. Uh, inappropriately, as I think it is being done in in in, in this particular case.
0: Yeah, uh, the if called upon, the a judge at any moment can criticise and perhaps even instruct uh, Parliament and its oversight duties. But outside of that perhaps it becomes unwarranted and perhaps impugns Parliament unfairly so uh, that's where people are imputing the doctrine of the separation of powers. Is that a fair interpretation of where its application limitations are?
1: Well you know I don't think you know judges should be opining on, on all sorts of issues uh, that they'd be facing the countries, as I say, outside of their judgments and uh, academic papers that they may write. Uh, so that's not uh, certainly not open to them, and it would certainly undermine, you know, public confidence in the in the judiciary. But as I say, in this case, you know, uh, uh, Chief Justice Zondo spoke about a commission he presided over. He expressed his frustration, and I think a frustration that many people in South Africa share about the slow pace of the implementation of the recommendations. And these are, you know, recognizing firstly that they are recommendations; they are not binding. But both government and parliament, uh, in their responses to uh, his reports, have said that there are certain of the recommendations that they will implement. Yeah. And his his frustration was at the slow p- uh, pace of uh, the implementation.
0: Yeah. P- perhaps a last test on this idea of the separation of power and its specific applicability in this instance. The minute Chief Justice Zondo handed over the final report uh, to the president. The commission was dissolved. It no longer existed. And so he no longer has a claim to be able to be speaking on behalf of the commission or frustrated by the work that the commission had put into it because it doesn't exist. It's the property of the executive. And if the executive is failing at it, Uh, Parliament needs to hold to account the executive and that owner should be left left on Parliament. Uh, And if Parliament is to be pressured by by it, it should be done by citizens um, and not necessarily a judge or uh, in this instance, Zondo claiming that he's doing so on the basis that he had spent half a decade of his life on this particular uh, uh, project. Uh, Again, Given that the uh, commission had been dissolved and this report is now the property of the executive with an oversight uh, responsibility from parliament, surely that's where it should have been left?
1: Well, you know, whether that uh, is the case or not, the reality is that the implementation has not followed. And, uh, you know, yes, technically, you know, he's uh, no longer the chair of the commission. I think the the commission, uh, strangely enough, I think still exists for certain purposes because uh, certain admin issues being still being wrapped up. Uh, but he's not, uh, you know, speaking as the chair of the commission. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, speaking as someone who's invested so much time, I think we, we need to he- listen to what he says and engage with what he says rather than seeking to say that uh, he shouldn't speak on this issue.
0: Yeah. Um, Lawson is, is his frustration perhaps as especially as a judicial officer, not perhaps premature, given that many many people who are implicated by the commission report have indicated and perhaps even started. Uh, review applications in to, to, to this report. Some are reviewing specific parts of the report, uh, and I know one or two particular people are, uh, or at least intended, indicated intention to review the entirety of the report and have it all set aside. Uh, surely, then, uh, he, as a judicial officer, understanding just how litigious uh, our political climate and the state has become, should perhaps wait. Uh, until this has gone through uh, the entirety of our uh, judicial system, throughout the appellate process, for which at some point he may be a presiding officer in the court, although many people will argue should that moment come that he should recuse himself as the author of the report if it were ever to appear before the constitutional court. Surely patience is required uh, from that perspective.
1: Well, from that perspective, certainly, but that perspective relates to individuals who are implicated in in state capture and who were named in his report. Uh, When he spoke last week, I don't recall him reflecting on on those individual cases. Uh, I'm not sure how many review applications have been brought. There were threats of many, but I think very few have actually uh, landed so far. So I think we must separate the issue from him uh, uh, commenting on individuals who are implicated in the report, who, as you say, may challenge the report at some point. What he spoke about was more the institutional response of Parliament and the government uh, in implementing the systemic uh, recommendations that he's proposed. For example, enhancing whistleblower protection. Uh, And we see that, you know, government committed to that. They said that there there would be something ready by the end of March this year. That time has come and gone. Nothing has happened. So on a number of, of, of those sorts of commitments, which government and Parliament made, Uh, they failed to live up to the, uh, you know, to the uh, deadlines they had set for themselves. So that's really where the problem lies. There isn't a sense of urgency in implementing this. And, you know, we continue to be ravaged as a country by corruption, by increasing levels of organized crime now, uh, and the situation is not getting any better. So I think that's the issue that we need to respond to. That's what Parliament should be telling us, what they are actually doing about uh, about these issues to strengthen the legislative framework, rather than simply attacking the chief justice.
0: Night talk with Oliver Dixon. Twenty three minutes after ten pm, you're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. I'm in conversation with Lawson Naidu. Uh, welcome to the show. You can give us a call zero eight six triple zero two zero three two zero eight six triple zero Two zero three two, Lawson. Looking at the magnitude of the report, right? It 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 is perhaps the most uh, extensive judi- uh, uh, extrajudicial report we've ever seen uh, in 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 our democratic history. I mean, there are multiple volumes of this thing uh, spanning across many 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 different uh, facets of our state infrastructure. It is a very very long and detailed report. Um, I can't imagine that a full-scale implementation plan would be an easy one. Um, I mean, this may well still be why the president still hasn't presented one to parliament just yet, and that it would be quite a while before we start seeing, uh, you know, a comprehensive implementation plan and a strategy emanating from it and actually seeing action around its implementation. Um, What do you imagine... Uh, the conversation in the presidency is at the moment around uh, the implementation of this report? Or do you think that the political world just does not exist and that we may have to use accountability instruments and institutions to push for the implementation of this report?
1: Um, well, I think the the mood in the presidency should be one of embarrassment at the moment because uh, the president did in fact uh, submit an implementation plan uh albeit an initial one perhaps yeah uh, to parliament in october last year where they set out uh, a, a list of interventions that would uh, uh, that had been accepted from the recommendations uh, with some kind of time frame to some of them as to when they would be implemented and government has failed to meet many of the, the targets that it set itself and herein lies the problem is that parliament should be overseeing and monitoring government's implementation and again has failed to do so. So when the two arms of the state uh, are both failing in their responsibilities, I would suggest that uh, uh, a chief justice has a responsibility in order to to promote uh, respect for the rule of law, to say where is the action, because we know state capture undermined the principle of the rule of law and the failure to act against it further weakens uh, the rule of law. And I I would therefore suggest that he has a responsibility to protect that and therefore to speak out.
0: Yeah. Uh, The last time Parliament was, uh, let's call it, hit over the knuckles by the Constitutional Court for its failure to uh, enact uh, accountability over the executive was itself pertaining uh, to the outcome of a, 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 a... Uh, Public protector report, and then, of course, court litigation stemming out of that. Uh, And this was around the state, uh, uh, was around the Nkandla judgment, right? What is the remedy or recourse that we have, judicially speaking, when Parliament fails to execute its constitutional uh, duties? I can only imagine that the ballot box is an efficient way, or perhaps the only recourse avenue at the moment that voters have, democratically speaking. But judicially speaking, is there anything recourse-wise available for citizens when Parliament just fails to hold the executive to account?
1: Well, in in, in the context that we're speaking about at the moment, Oliver, in, in relation to the recommendations of the State Capture Commission, there's very, very little recourse that one can have because, as I mentioned earlier, the recommendations are not binding, uh, and therefore there is no compulsion on the president to accept the recommendations in the report and to implement them, except insofar as the president has indicated which aspects of those um, recommendations the government will be pursuing and seeking to implement. So uh, you know there, there is a commitment from the uh, from the executive uh, that uh, at least some of the recommendations will be implemented. And the responsibility, therefore, on Parliament is to say, you've committed to this, you've committed to this in a report that you submitted to Parliament, and we now have a responsibility to oversee the the implementation of that. And where government uh, falls short, Parliament should be seeking to intervene and hold that executive to account. It's precisely Parliament's failure to hold the executive to account during the state capture years that allowed state capture to take root in the way that it did. So I don't think one is looking here for for legal recourse to to enforce anything, but to say that the the country went through a a terrible period. We have this report after four years of painstaking work, and there's an acknowledgement that things need to be done. And the question we need to ask is, why is it not being done? Yeah, but
0: can you also? Because I, I had no idea that this distinction exists in law that there's a, the recommendation of a commission of inquiry, judicial commission of inquiry, uh, is not binding, yet the uh, recommendations of a chapter nine institution like the uh, public protectors' offices uh, is binding. Given that this commission is born out of the public protectors' recommendations, surely then the recommendations of the commission itself should have some level of being binding. Um, Why is it in law that it's not binding? What's the distinction there?
1: Well, the distinction there is that the uh, Office of the Public Protector is is a a creature of the Constitution with with powers that have been now defined by the Constitutional Court as being powers whose uh, recommendations are binding unless they are reviewed and set aside by a court. Uh, A commission of inquiry is is governed by the Commission's Act. It's the prerogative of the president to establish a commission of inquiry. And uh, they make recommendations to the president uh, uh, on the mandate that they are given. So, you know, that in broad terms is the distinction, and which is why uh, the recommendations of the State Capture Commission are not binding. Uh, But, you know, obviously having invested all that time, effort, and resources into that process, one would expect at the very least uh, that uh, those to whom the report is directed, in this case government and parliament, should take those recommendations seriously and act with the the sense of urgency uh, that the situation demands. You are listening to Oliver Dixon on the Station of the Year.